You are listening to an audio. Welcome, Harvest. As you gathered from that video today, our topic from God's Word is fasting. So I would invite you to open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one maybe under your pew or in the rack in front of you. I would love if everybody had a Bible in their hands so that we could all search God's Word together. And while you're doing that, let's, uh, let's start church off with a survey today, okay? And you can all participate in this survey by... Uh, answering the two questions out loud with either yes or no. Okay, you ready? Wait, that was the practice round, okay? Are you ready? Okay, great, good. Here's two questions. First, um, for successful habits to be established, do you believe that consistency is necessary? Yes. Good, I would agree as well. Okay, question two. For successful habits uh, to work well, would you agree that consistency is hard? Yes. yes. I heard no no's. If there was a no, I was going to point you out. So I'm glad that you can agree that you're weak like me and sometimes ha- consistency in habits is hard. And, and you know what atrophy is, right? You've heard that word before, atrophy? Maybe it was it relates to like muscle mass or, or training. Uh, if an athlete neglects the consistency of training or if uh, an artist neglects the consistency of, of practice, um, atrophy will ensue and skill will decline. And I spoke with a lot of mature Christians who I trust this week and uh, we agree that within the church, fasting is one of those spiritual disciplines which is experiencing the worst degrees of atrophy. Consider your own practice of the faith. Would you willingly, honestly say that you've been fasting with consistency and regularity? Well, if we're not consistent, maybe we're sporadic. We do it, but it's not planned. It's kind of, well, if it's not sporadic, then maybe that means we've been neglecting it and that we are experiencing an atrophy in this all-important spiritual discipline. And now, consistency is key, that's true, but Matthew chapter 6 is going to show us today that while consistency is key, motive matters most. So this sermon's going to come in three parts today. First, we're going to consider um, biblical principles to understand what is fasting. What is fasting? And then we're going to look deeply into Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 to 18. We're going to look at the fast that God rejects, right? And then we're also going to see the fast which God rewards. But understand, while consistency is key, church, motive matters most. So as we often do, would you stand with me as we read God's word? We stand like we would maybe for the national anthem in honor of God and in honor of his word. This is God's word. It speaks to us today and this is what it says. 
And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray together, church. Father in heaven, we are in need today. We are a needy people. We are a weak people. So we would ask in the name of Jesus that you would manifest the might and power of your Holy Spirit through your scriptures and the truth contained therein to motivate us to faithfulness and consistency and humility to pick up this discipline and find the reward which you promise. Please, Lord, we need you. So meet us here, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's start at the beginning and answer the question, what is fasting. For that, I'm going to offer you a definition from the book Spiritual Disciplines from the Christian Life for the Christian Life by a man named Donald Whitney. I would commend that book to each and every one of you. Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. Donald Whitney defines fasting as um, a Christian's voluntary abstinence from food for a spiritual purpose. If you're taking notes, there are notes provided for you in the bulletin you were given. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. A fasting is a Christian's voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purpose. Well, how long should I abstain? Well, there's no really set parameters in Scripture, but there are a lot of examples. Some people fast for just an evening, um, just a day, multiple days, um, a week, multiple uh, weeks. Some people fast absolutely and had no food, no drink. Some people fast partially and only ate certain things or only ate and but didn't drink. Um, this is key though. However long you fast or to what extent that you would fast, fasting must be accompanied with more prayer. More urgent prayer. More devoted prayer, more frequent prayer. Maybe you've tried fasting before and, and you, you got through like a meal or two and you're just like, I don't, know, I don't know, is this really working? And, you're, and you just kind of quit or, or you tried it and you fulfilled the time that you said you would fast, but you're just like, ah, was this really, uh, I don't know. This is important. Um, if you have been abstaining or tried abstaining from food, for a set period of time, but haven't been adding more prayer in the midst of that, you're not fasting. You're just on a hunger strike. Fasting demands more prayer. And in Donald Whitney's book, he offers 10 purposes for fasting. I'm gonna highlight four for you today. And I realized something as I looked at these purposes. All of the purposes, all of the reasons which can motivate us to fast, these purposes can be sought apart from fasting and with just prayer alone. But 
Fasting will enable the Christian to reach a higher threshold of faith which would not have been reachable without fasting. Fasting will enable you to reach a higher threshold in your prayers which would not be reachable apart from fasting. This is a quote from Donald Whitney's book. Fasting is calculated to bring a note of urgency and importunity into our praying and to give force to our pleading in the court of heaven. The man who prays with fasting is giving heaven notice that he is truly earnest. Not only so, but he is expressing his earnestness in a divinely appointed way. He is using a means that God has chosen to make his voice to be heard on high. You want that? For your prayers to be expressed with earnestness? To put heaven on notice? As I was studying the scriptures about what fasting is, I noticed something really interesting in the Old Testament. The writers, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, often would use a synonym for fasting. Instead of saying, if you fast, or you should fast, they would say, if you afflict yourself. When you afflict yourself. I thought about that. That's interesting. Why would they use that word? And, but if you fasted before, you probably know why fasting is often referred to as affliction. Because hunger hurts, doesn't it? Why willingly put yourself under pain? Because the physical stimuli spiritually indicates to us that as much as I think I need food, I need the power of God more. As much as I think I desire the taste of food, I must desire the presence of God more. As much as I might be starved for food, I am starved for a the presence and the power of God more, so I will pray and I will fast. That's what fasting is. You want to reach a higher threshold in your faith? Maybe there's something you've been praying about and, and you want to add more urgency, more faith. Get fasting. So I'm going to highlight four purposes for which you could choose to fast. Here's the first one. Fast, write this down if you're taking notes. I hope you would discern and determine to take one of these purposes and maybe even do it this week. Fast for the purpose of intercession. That's one purpose. Fast for the purpose of intercession. Intercession is desperately pleading to God on behalf of another if there was like a top 10 most uh, memorized Bible verses list, I think Jeremiah 29.11 would be on that list. You guys know Jeremiah 29.11? Can someone try and just shout it out and say part of it for me? Thank you. Shout out. I didn't say whisper. Uh, thank you, Paul. Appreciate that. <laughs> I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Some of us read that and, and we feel when we read that, oh, God knows his plans for me. Phew, that's a relief. But the original audience, when they read that verse, they read it very differently. You see, that was written to the people of God 
who were Israelites, but they weren't in Israel anymore. They were exiled by the Babylonian Empire and were living in Babylon. And God said to them, you're going to be in exile for 70 years, but I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. I'm sending you away because of your idolatry and your sin, but after 70 years, I will bring you back. If you want to know how we should probably read Jeremiah 29, 11, you should read Daniel chapter 9. Because Daniel was in exile, and he, this is what happened when he read this verse. Daniel 9, verse 2 and 3. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. What did he do then? What did he do? Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Daniel's response was, we're getting close to the end of 70 years and, and we're in exile because of our sin, but we haven't changed yet. So he determined to intercede for his people that they would repent and he prayed with fasting. What are you praying about urgently in your life right now? Maybe some of you are urgently praying for a wayward child or grandchild. Maybe if some of you are urgently praying for your apathetic spouse to change. Maybe some of you are praying for the church in Canada, persecuted Christians across the world. You want to gain a higher threshold in your faith? Then fast. Fast and watch the Holy Spirit lift your pleas to an urgency and a fervency and a faith that you didn't know you could possibly pray with. And he will. Fast for the purpose of intercession also this, here's another purpose. Fast for the purpose of worship. Fast for the purpose of worship. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 9, verse 14 and 15. The disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but you and your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. You've probably been to a wedding reception before. As long as the bride and the groom are still around, everyone's partying. When the bride and groom go home, everyone else goes home and the partying stops. Jesus is talking about himself here. When he came from heaven to earth, he was with his people. But Jesus said, I'm gonna leave my people. I will return but while I am gone, they will long for my return and desire my return. Maybe some of you are in a place in your walk with Christ right now where you are not longing for Jesus. Rather than longing for the return of Christ and the coming kingdom, you're actually very in love with this present world. Maybe you're a parent or maybe you're a peer in your 20s and you're just caught up in all the slop of this world and you recognize you've lost your first love. 
your life isn't here on earth, you want to get back to your first love, you want to get back to true worship, then fast. These are the days. Jesus is gone. These are the days to fast. Fast. And as much as you think you need food, as much as you long for food, long for Jesus to come here and take us home because this life is not your home. Fast for the purpose of intercession, for worship. How about this one? Fast for the purpose of repentance. Not repentance as in like, I need to fast to earn forgiveness, but fast as an expression of your repentance. Some of you probably wouldn't know if I asked the, um, who is the worst king in Israel history. You probably know the best. David, David or Solomon, right? They were like the top kings. David probably in Israel. But though you might not know the worst king in Israel, you probably know his wife's name. His wife's name was Jezebel. You guys recognize that? Jezebel's husband was Ahab. Worst king bar none in all of Israel. But even when the worst king sought God for his forgiveness, God forgave him. And Ahab expressed his repentance through fasting, and God saw it. First Kings 21, 27, and when Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Maybe you recognize, you know, you know what you're doing is wrong. And, and, and in the past, you felt sorry for your sin, but you keep going right back to it. You want to learn the pain of how God sees our sin then express repentance through fasting. And as much as you feel pain in your body, recognize how much our sin pains the God who sent his son to die for your sin. We can fast for the purpose of intercession, of worship, of repentance. Here's one more. Fast for the purpose of seeking God's favor in ministry. Fast for the purpose of seeking God's favor in ministry. When Paul and Barnabas went about establishing and planting churches throughout Asia and what we would call almost Europe, um, when he established the churches, it says in Acts chapter 14 that he committed the elders and the churches to the Lord with prayer and fasting. Daniel was the guy who was in exile for 70 years, but Nehemiah was one of the guys who brought everybody back from exile. And when he heard that his hometown was broken and the walls were torn down, he was so sorrowful and he wanted to do something. He wanted to work for the sake of Christ, for the Lord. He wanted to build up the walls so, and he needed the favor of the king to be able to get the resources to do it. So in Nehemiah 1, it says that he fasted with prayer for days. Would you have the courage to fast on behalf of our elders and our church? You know, actually, some of you have come to Harvest from another church. 
And maybe you, the reason you left was a good reason, uh, maybe it was just a preferential reason, but some of you might have mixed feelings about your former church. Would you have the courage to fast for your former church that God would bless them? Would you have the courage to fast for Harvest Bible Fellowship? We're a part of a church planning network, and right now there's a little over 150 churches across the world, but the goal of our fellowship is 1,000 churches in the lifetime of its founder. That's a long way to go. Harvest New Market was celebrating their two-year anniversary this weekend, praise God. But we want more in York Region. We want more in Southern Ontario. We're at a dozen churches or so in Southern Ontario. What about 50 churches in Southern Ontario? Would you fast for more churches and more souls and more small groups? There are many reasons, many purposes for which we can devote ourselves and seek a higher threshold in our faith through fasting. Whatever reason, purpose, you might decide, Jesus teaches us that while while consistency is key, motive matters most. So now that we understand fasting, let's look at the fast that God rejects because we want to reject this type of fast. So I hope you have your Bible still open in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look in detail now with this passage. Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. What's the type of fast that God rejects? Well, write this down. A one that displays an exaggerated appearance. Disfigured, gloomy, hypocritical. It's an exaggerated appearance and God rejects that. It's not organic, it's synthetic. It's not natural, it's artificial. It's not authentic, it's counterfeit. Look back at verse 16. Do you see that word gloomy? That's a really interesting translation. And other other translations use the word sullen, um, sad. Uh, The same word in the original language is used in Luke 24, to describe not a artificial counterfeit expression, but a um, authentic expression. And in Luke 24, it's translated as looking sad. And it's used in this way to describe the demeanor, the appearance of two disciples who, were, who followed Jesus, but were so distressed because they saw Jesus die, but three days later, all of a sudden, everyone's saying he's alive. And they're just like, what? What is that? I don't understand. So they were so sad. They were just like, I can't deal with this. And they, and they left. And as they were walking away, actually, Jesus, who had been resurrected, starts walking with them. And they're talking about this, and Jesus asks, like, hey, what's going on? And when Jesus asks that, it says that they stopped. And they looked sad. This gloominess, 
this sadness, when it's expressed authentically, like in Luke 24, it's like you've lost a close loved one. But the hypocritical, exaggerated appearance is faking funeral mode every day so that other people like pity you. It's like, oh, um, fasting calls that is called affliction. I'm supposed to be in pain, so maybe if I look like I'm in pain, like I lost a loved one, people can look at me like, whoa, that broke. <sighs> so spiritual. The fast that God rejects, exaggerated appearance, motivated by a public audience. It says, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Remember, church, motive matters most. Why do they do this? Well, exaggerated appearance for public audience. Why? To receive a reward from others. That's what Jesus said. That their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. Listen, if you want to put on a face for any spiritual discipline, fasting, prayer, Bible reading, fellowship participation, if you want to put a face on it and so that other people affirm you and approve you, guess what? They're going to, get, they're going to do that. If that's the reward you want, the approval of others, you're going to get it. But that's all you're going to get. And you're going to get nothing from God. I wrote two words down when I saw that they're motivated to gain a reward from others. Um, cheap and vain. This is cheap. It's cheap like, a, like an ignorant, stupid miner who celebrates because he thinks he's finally found treasure, but it's actually fool's gold. It's vain. It's vain like going on vacation but spending the entire trip in the gift shop because you want to buy the perfect souvenir to impress your friends at home but you never go in the actual resort. <laughs> Cheap and vain. But mo more than that, Jesus tells us that we need to beware of this prideful self-righteous attitude. Look back in the Bible, chapter six, verse one. Jesus introduces this part of the Bible by saying this, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Beware. Usually when I hear that word beware, it's like about something dangerous that can be put upon me. Like you're driving on a road and uh, in, in a mountainous range and you see a sign, beware of falling rocks. Like, okay, so there's something dangerous out there that could hurt me. That's not the danger that Jesus is telling us to beware of. Church, I, you, we all need to beware of the danger of our own pride and our own self-righteousness because it will crush us. And as I did my study through scripture about fasting, I saw three different instances where a prideful, self-righteous attitude snatched away the reward that fasting could bring. And I want to warn you of these three. 
because we can all be subject to them. Beware of these attitudes because they will snatch away the reward of fasting. First, um, beware of the snare of obligation-based obedience. Beware of the snare of obligation-based obedience. I was at McDonald's getting a free coffee this week and I was looking around on Wednesday morning and I was like, why does everybody have like these smudged marks on their foreheads? It's like, oh yeah, yesterday was Fat Tuesday. Today's Ash Wednesday. That means Lent's coming up, right? Don't just fast because the calendar year tells you it's time to fast, right? There's no, we believe that there's no discipline that we can devote ourselves to that will ever please God. Nothing. We're all sinful people and our sin is so wretched in God's sight that it's not about doing good works to outweigh the sin. It's about getting a new life forgiven of sin. And that's only available through faith in Jesus Christ. He suffered the pain that we deserve He lived a perfect life. Believe in him and his perfect life will be attributed to you. Obligation? No. So I've given you actually behind this sermon or weaved in between the sermon a little history lesson about the exile of the Israel people. We said that they were uh, brought in exile because of their sin from the Babylonians, 70 years in Babylon. Daniel prayed on their behalf. Nehemiah brought them back. Here's a little bit more history lesson about the exile. Um, When they were in exile, they, uh, people of Israel, instituted four annual fasts. And these four annual fasts corresponded with four specific dates that the Babylonian army besieged the city of Jerusalem. And they fasted to remember and mourn over the fact that they weren't in their homeland anymore. They're away and they longed to be back. But then guess what? 70 years and they're back. And then when they were back, there was a prophet Zechariah around. And the people were wondering like, uh, I fa- I, I, we fasted all those times like four times a year when we were gone. But now we're back. Should I keep fasting? And they asked the prophet, for a word from the Lord. And this is what he said. Zechariah 7 verse 3. Should I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I, did, as I have done for so many years? Verse 19. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month and the fast of the fifth month and the fast of the seventh and the fast of the tenth month shall be to the house of Judah a season of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. God has said, nah, you're not in exile anymore. You, you, you fasted because you were mourning, but now you're back, so don't fast. Feast, because I brought you home. Beware of the snare of obligation-based. Oh, I just got to do it because the preacher told me. I just got to do it because it's Lent again. No. Motive matters Most. Beware of the snare of obligation-based obedience. Then also this, beware of the snare of comparison. Beware of the snare of comparison. This will snatch the reward right up from under your feet. Jesus told a parable, a story about a Pharisee. This is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 18, verse 11 and 12. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, 
I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. Beware of a prideful heart that builds up your resume, looks at others, and then puffs your chest out a little more. It doesn't matter how long you've been serving at this church. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter how many generations of Christians are in your family lineage. It doesn't matter how many celebrity pastors you've met. Doesn't matter how many times you've been to Israel and did the Holy Land tour. Doesn't matter how many books you've read, grandkids you have. The snare of comparison will snatch away the reward of fasting. Beware of the snare of obligation-based obedience, comparison, and then this one. Beware of the snare of neglected compassion. Beware of the snare of neglected compassion. What do you mean? What what does compassion have to do with fasting? A lot, actually. In Jesus' interaction with his Pharisees, he made it abundantly clear, blatantly clear, that if we are so precise about my spiritual disciplines, check, 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 but I'm neglecting the person that needs my help right there so I can get another check, 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 God doesn't care about your check marks when you're neglecting others. Matthew 23, 23, Jesus says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You tithe mint and dill and cumin. So tithing is like giving a tenth. So he was saying that the Pharisees were so precise. They're like, here's my mint leaf. One leaf for God, nine leaves for me. I'm so spiritual. You tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. In Isaiah 58, the people of God were fasting and fasting and fasting. Why don't you see us, God? We've humbled ourselves. Why don't you see it? God said, because in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and you oppress all your workers. If you're so concerned about getting your check mark that you turn your back like the Levite and the priest turned his back on the person that the Good Samaritan cared for, then God turns his back on your disciplines. Beware of the snare of neglected compassion. God cares more about your check mark. He cares about true love, and true love will love God and his ways, and it will love others. That's the fast that God rejects, but finally, let's look at the fast that God rewards, and I hope this is encouraging towards you. I hope this will motivate you and grant you the courage that you will leave here today determined to fast with consistency can fast with regularity, knowing that motive matters most. 
Okay, Matthew chapter six, verse 17, look at this verse. It says this, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So what's the fast that God rewards? Well, one that displays an ordinary appearance. One that displays an ordinary appearance. Listen, if, if nobody knows that you're fasting, then you're doing it right. How can I prepare to fast? We shouldn't fast just like willy-nilly. We should think about it, have a purpose, determine a time, and then do it. Well, how should I prepare for this? Um, how about this? Basic hygiene, right? Have a shower when you fast. Wash your face when you fast, right? That's what Jesus said. One that displays an ordinary appearance. Why? Because you're motivated by a secret audience, not a public one. You don't care about others seeing you. You care about your father who dwells in secret seeing you. And be sure of this, church. Our father may dwell in secret, but our father who dwells in secret sees all. Who's he going to look towards? Who's he going to reward? Well, the Bible tells us. Listen to this verse, Isaiah 66, 2. But this is the one to whom I will look. God's telling us. Who's he going to look at? From his secret place, who's going to put his gaze upon? This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite and trembles at my word. If God were looking at you today, friend, what would he see? Would he see humility, contrition, a trembling heart before the word of God? Sorry, let me ask that question in the way that it should be asked. God is looking upon us all even now. Does he see a proud heart or a humble heart? And if there's pride in your heart, comparison, neglecting others, duty-bound obedience, what needs to change so that you would posture yourself in humility? An ordinary appearance motivated by secret audience. Why? Why do we only want God to know? So that we can gain the reward that comes from God. An ordinary appearance motivated by a secret audience to gain a reward from the Father. So this is the part of the sermon that Pastor Paul would usually say, so what? Right? What's the point? Why we want to fast? What do I get? Is it worth it? Yeah, it is. Because your Father who sees in secret will, that's a promise, will reward you. You want the promise? You want the reward? Well, what is the reward? I think from this passage that the reward is kind of suggested in two implications. Here's the first reward. The reward of affirmation. The reward that comes from fasting is the reward of affirmation. Affirmation of authentic obedience. Simply said, you aren't a hypocrite. 
And you don't need to be worried that God will look at you as a hypocrite. He will look at you as someone who's faithful. Well done, good and faithful servant. And here's the beautiful thing. When we obey in the way that God wants, Jesus tells us in John 15, 11, that authentic obedience produces divine joy. God is pleased with our obedience. We are affirmed and it produces genuine joy to follow his way and not my own. The reward of affirmation, but also this, the reward of fulfillment. I suggested four purposes. There are more, but I suggested four purposes for which you can fast. The reward is fulfillment, is seeing God fulfill the purpose for which you've determined to fast. You want to fast for intercession? God will hear. You want to fast for worship? You'll be satisfied. You want to fast for repentance? God will receive you. You want to fast for favor and ministry? God will grant that. And allow me to share four verses of scripture that will affirm the fulfillment that you will find if you fast for these purposes. Write this one down. 1 John 4, verse 14 to 15. You want to fast for intercession? Well, 1 John 4, 14 to 15 assures us that if we ask and petition according to God's will and in Jesus' name, then we can have the confidence that he does hear us. And if we have the confidence that he hears us, we have the confidence that we have the requests that we've asked of him. You want to intercede for your kids, your grandkids, your spouse, a coworker. Intercede. God hears. God hears. God hears. What a reward to know that God will hear and heed my prayer. Maybe you want to fast for the purpose of worship. Write this verse down, Matthew 5, 8. You've been satisfying yourself with the world for so long, but you realize it's empty. Matthew 5, verse 8. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. The fulfillment of worship, you will be satisfied. Maybe you've decided you want to fast to express your repentance. Write this verse down. Psalm 51, verse 16 to 17. This is so reassuring. Psalm 51, verse 16 to 17 says, we come in brokenness. When we come in repentance, God will not despise a broken and contrite heart. He will receive it. Maybe you've been bottling up your sin and refusing to confess for so long because you don't know if God will actually receive you and you feel so ashamed. A broken and contrite heart, God will not despise. He will receive. Finally, maybe you want to fast for the purpose of ministry favor. Please, please fast for our church. Fast for youth ministry, for young adults ministry, for men's, for women's, for Awana, for Harvest Kids, for Harvest Summer Kids, for the weekend services. Fast for our community. Fast for our fellowship. Fast that more churches would be planted. And remember the fulfillment of Matthew 16, 18. Jesus promised in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. Pray 
see God's favor for our church, for the churches in Markham, for Harvest Bible Fellowship. God wants to answer those prayers. God wants to heed those times of fasting. The reward that comes from fasting is the reward of affirmation and the reward of fulfillment. So, church, will you determine to fast, to do it with consistency, to do it with regularity? I hope you will. It takes discipline, and it's hard, but it will lift your prayers to a higher threshold of faith that you didn't realize you could pray with. Let's have the courage to fast with consistency, regularity, and with the motive of humility, because motive matters most.